Amajina Trimanandasya Jana Jana Salakaya Chakshuran Militanyena Tasma Shri Gurave Namaha Panchakopadubhisya Kripasindaviva Patitana Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavijanamo Namaha Shilarupa Goswami Prabhupada Ki So we'll begin by chanting uh, the invocation verse from Srila Rupa Goswami's Tattva Sandarva, his Sat Sandarvas. Um, this is the first verse of his Mangala Charna. So he immediately puts forth the uh, the Lord of his life <laughs> before he even begins his philosophical discussion. So we can chant responsibly. Krishna Varnam Tusa Krishnam Krishna Varnam Tusa Krishnam Sangopangastra Parsidam Sangopangastra Parsidam Yajnai Sankirtana Prayar Yajanti Sumedasa In the age of Kali, intelligent persons perform congregational chanting to worship the incarnation of Godhead who constantly sings the names of Krishna. Although his complexion is not blackish, he is Krishna himself. He is accompanied by his associates, servants, weapons, and confidential companions. So this evening, uh, we will be continuing with the epistemology of the Vedas, epistemology being the method of acquiring knowledge. And as Srila Juva Goswami has stated in his Mangala Charna to Tattvas and Darba, the knowledge that we're, he is aspiring to impart to us is knowledge of how to acquire Sambandha, Abhideya and Prayojan for that supreme absolute truth, the source of all being, uh, our conscious self the relationship between our conscious self and that super-conscious self, the supreme absolute truth. There are eight Anuchedas in his Mangala Charna. Jiva Goswami puts forth proofs to support his ultimate epistemology, which is that Srimad Bhagavatam is the, the ultimate evidence of reality for us who are aspiring for Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan in relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead, <coughs> Sri Krishna. So right out of the gate, he immediately put, gave us, put us on notice that the senses are not going to do it. The senses, there's some difficulty if we accept the senses as the ultimate source for obtaining knowledge. Four defects are there. So with those four defects, we're not going to be able to acquire perfect knowledge with defective senses. And then he goes on to go through an analysis of the con the the contemporary methods of acceptable knowledge in Vedic culture, in Indian culture, in the culture of his day. And although he was writing for the culture of his day, his explanations are as applicable to the culture of our day. It was only 500 years ago. So there's not a great bit of difference. So he he basically delineates ten different methods that we, as human beings, can acquire knowledge. Of course, the first is pratyaksha, sensory input. Um, then there's inference. So we can take in some sense and then we can also have some inference based on prior sensual knowledge or experience that we've had. And then there's the praman of the Veda, scriptural knowledge, which gives us entrance into an understanding of things which are beyond our realm of direct experience. We cannot experience 
atmospheres for residence that exceed our current point of reference. We know that in this planet we have heavenly places and we have hellish places. We can't know what other places are available within the all of God's creation. We look to the cosmos and we see so many you know, potentials <laughs> for possible residents. Of course, the scientists have a problem with that uh, perception. Uh, but still, even they have to admit there's just too many stars in the sky that they can all be uninhabited. At least they're gradually coming to that, uh, that understanding. So, knowledge of Scripture, uh, revera uh, revelation, saintly revelation of knowledge uh, is another is another valid form of acquiring uh, acquiring knowledge through revelation and of course the Veda is what it's sound revelation and it goes even deeper than sound revelation if we are to accept what the Veda itself says of its nature, it is actually what? The breath of God. It's sound vibration coming from the absolute. It's a purusheya. What is that? Non-human. So this non-human sound vibration is one of the three types of knowledge which Srila Jiva Goswami says uh, are valid. Not only is it one of the three, it is the topmost of the three. Uh, the other one, pratyaksha, sensory perception, being limited and having defects, and inference based upon that, uh, being also limited and imperfect. <clears throat> so Jiva Goswami, he looks at the ten types of acquiring knowledge. Some of them are interesting hand motions, like mudras, we can talk, there's a way to communicate knowledge or communicate, you know, if I put up my peace sign, everybody knows what I'm talking about, there's some transference of knowledge there, uh, those that are engaged in uh, worshipping deities, worshipping the deity of the supreme, or other deities, they can communicate through hand gesture. Please come, please eat, I don't know. Or we can watch watch the dancers uh, from Indian culture at least. Well, we also from our culture too. Now they but if the dancer puts her arms up, we know that's like she's playing a flute, oh that represents Krishna. Uh, and as far as the dancers of these days, when they make their gestures, well, there's no question what they're <laughs> trying to convey to us. <laughs> so, gestures are there. So, so many things. But Jiva Goswami says basically they all can, we can, we can catalog all those into one of the three. Pratyaksha, inference, and, uh, and Vedic knowledge. So, in the last few... Uh, Anuchedas or sections uh, on Vedic knowledge um, he's dealt with and he's gradually honed in first let's accept the Vedas well how can we accept the Vedas and now he's honing in even more well if we're going to accept the Vedas then then what's involved in acceptance of the Vedas. And in the last class we found, well, if we look to the actual original four Veda, well, they're all original, but if we look to the four Vedas, that's really difficult for us to acquire, try to acquire knowledge from those. The level of Sanskrit understanding is, is extremely, extremely difficult. Even if that's even if you can get over that hurdle, then there the, the, the six 
items of um, what was it called? Uh, of Vedic, you have to know you have to know the Sanskrit deep enough to enter into the mystery of the Vedas itself. So there's six other hurdles that you have to cross. But when you get through that and you want to actually study the Vedas, then you're at a loss because although the Vedas were there, Jiva Goswami points out, well, they were, they were, Srila Vyasadeva wrote down the four Vedas and then he had to divide those. Each of those were divided into four sections. And we ended up with what? 14... There we go. 1130 branches for each of the four Vedas. Okay? The four branches constituted 1130 branches. The Rig Veda had 21 the Ajur a hundred, the Sama a thousand, and the Atharva nine. Each of those branches was subdivided into four branches. Okay, four branches. The Samhitas, the Brahmanas, the Aranyakas, and the Upanishads. So we have 4,520 total. Well, that's okay. So there's a little, it's a little bit of reading there. <laughs> And uh, learning in disciplic succession, he pointed out that if you want to learn these Vedas, you have to learn them in disciplic succession from someone who's already mastered them. And then he says, and remember, this is at his time, 500 years ago, so probably we could find most of these now. We have, we can get our, we can now have access to of those 4,520 literatures, we have access to 11 Samhitas, 18 Brahmanas, 7 Aranyaka, and 220 Upanishads. 256 of the 4,520 texts. Six percent. That's kind of a... If you want to enter into the mystery of the knowledge of the Vedas, well, you're starting out at a disadvantage. So he goes through and he shows us, yes, it'd be nice to accept the Vedas. They're certainly a perfect source of knowledge, but this is what you're up against. First, you have to conquer your, the Sanskrit and... Um, and then most of them had been lost in time. Then he takes, that, takes us down the road of, oh, the six limbs that have to be mastered before we get to understanding the Vedas, to entering into them, is the Vedangas. The Vedangas are the science of pronunciation, the process of performing sacrifice, the rules of grammar, meaning of difficult worlds and their deriva derivations, Narukta, Jyoti, astronomy. Astronomy even comes into uh, something that has to be fully understood to enter into the mystery of the Veda, the four Vedas, and the Chandas, Vedic meters. And we're going to try to do this in Kali Yuga, where we have hardly any memory. It's going to be very difficult for us. <coughs> yes. Is there explain why astrology is such an integral part of it? Astronomy. 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 It's no. It's just one of the six limbs that need to be mastered. These six limbs are called the Vedangas. Uh, in the in the commentary on Tattvas and Darva that I'm uh, preparing these classes from, which is primarily Satchanarayan Dasas, he doesn't go into any more detail there. Do you have an idea why? I mean, I, you could write to him. It's difficult for me to see connection, you know, much 
I mean, like my stereotypical approach. Well, because I probably it has something to do with the fact that uh, the the psychology, the human psychology of someone uh, may need to be aligned in a certain way to even enter into the mystery of the Vedas. You must, as we were talking earlier today, you probably require some you know, some standing in sattva gun and some understanding of, of the writing of uh, in Sanskrit. Uh, so, it's a science and no one can, can uh, easily discount the influence of our prior samskaras on our ability and on the, the lessons of the Vedas themselves within a particular environment. So, is it a good time to study this one or to study that one? Is it going to reveal itself in this circumstance or that circumstance? How are the planets aligned? So, I don't know if I'm touching upon any of it, but I can, we can kind of conceive of how it could be important to, as a preliminary thing, to the study of the Vedas since they are so exacting that even the pronunciation of the words, which could be in one of three ways, which we discussed in the last class, can affect the whole outcome of a sacrifice. And instead of giving, getting an en enemy of Indra, Indra becomes his enemy, just by the inflection of the uh, tonal accent. All right, so that brings us to where we are now. We come to this evening's Anucheta 14. The Itihasas and Puranas are the fifth Veda. So as we explained in the last class, we are in a section of, of the Tattvansandarva where Jiva Goswami is contending with what appears to be some trends of thought during his day that the Puranas and the Itihasas in and of themselves were not Veda. So this is part we're, we're taking off where he's explaining that actually they are. They are the fifth Veda. And now he's going to provide his, his arguments in that regard and his evidence. The Vayu Purana. In Vayu Purana, Sutta Goswami explains why the Itihasas and Puranas are considered the fifth Veda. As follows. Sridha Vyasadeva, the Almighty Supreme Lord, accepted me, Sutta Goswami, as a qualified speaker of the Itihasas and Puranas. In the beginning there was only one Veda, the Ajur Veda, which Sridha Vyas divided into four parts. These gave rise to the four Saserdatol, is that right? Saserdatol functions called Chaturhotra, by means of which Srila Vyas arranged for the performance of sacrifice. Remember, this is the, at the end of Dwarpa Yuga. Uh, the Advarya priests performed all their assigned functions with Yajur mantras, the Hotra priests with Rig mantras, Ugada priests with Sama mantras, and Brahman priests with Atharva mantras. Sutagoth Swami further states, O best of the twice-born, thereafter Srila Vyas, master of the meaning of the Puranas, compiled the Puranas and the Samhita, Mahabharata, by combining various types of narrations and songs known as Akyanas, Upakyanas, and Gathas. That which remained after Vyasa divided the Vedas into four parts was also the Ajur Veda. This is the conclusion of the scriptures. So this is Sutta Goswami speaking in a Purana and explaining in, in what we accept as evidence that we should understand that the Puranas and the Itihasas are the Veda because they came from the Veda and the, they came from the Ajur Veda what was left over after the four Vedas were separated out. Um, goes on. 
Anucheta 14.2. The Puranas and Itihasas are also used in the formal study of the Vedas called Brahma Yajna. So these supplements to the Vedas are also used in the study of the Vedas. Well, you couldn't study Veda, which is absolute knowledge, which is a Purusheya, utilizing something that wasn't of the same quality. Remember, we went over the quality last time, that we complete our understanding of the Vedas with the Itihasas and Puranas because they are Vedic. They are themselves perfect knowledge because you would not complete a gold bracelet with iron. So that's the argument that Jiva gives. It would have to be completed with gold. So these supplements are themselves Vedic. The Puranas and Itihasas is already also used in the formal study of them. Um, so the fact that the Puranas and Itihasas are used in the Brahma Yajna means that it is impossible for them to be non-Vedic. As I said, this seems to be really something that he needed to, a point he really needed to strongly make at his time. Therefore, in Machya Purana, the Supreme Lord says, O best of the twice-born, foreseeing that the Puranas will gradually be neglected, I assume the form of Vyas and abridge it in every age. More of that, more on that a little later, maybe tonight. But there's an explanation of how Vyas comes in every every cycle of four yukas, and does a Vyas comes. Well, there's a difference between all the other Vyasas and the Vyas that came this time. And that 28th, Seems like a conjunction here is what I what I will get to at that time. That uh, anyway, going forward. In other words, Srila Vyas condenses the pre-existing Puranas so that people can easily comprehend it. Remember, there's one what one billion verses in the Puranas of what we get. How many? Four hundred thousand how much of the actual Puranic texts are available to humanity on this plane? One, no, five one-hundredths of one percent. If you go to the celestial realm of Brahma, the entire Purana is available to you. So if you want to read it in its, in its <laughs> entirety, <laughs> or let's say here in its, in its entirety, you can go that to that realm. For us, we have, we have one little less than a, I mean, less than a percent. Five one-hundredths of a percent is what makes up, what, the 60 Puranas make up 400,000 verses, and then we have the Mahabharat with 100,000 verses. From the Machya Purana, Machya Purana further states, the Purana consisting of 400,000 verses is divided into 18 parts. Then it is passed on by oral reception in every Dwarpa Yuga here on earth. Even today, the original Purana of, Purana of 1 billion verses exists in the abode of the immortals, Devas. The essential meaning of that Purana is contained in the abridged version of 400,000 verses. So it's all condensed for us. It's all there. All the essential truths are there. <laughs> okay. So we fi finish this Anacheda with Sutta's statement, that which remained after Vyasa had divided the four in the Vedas into four parts was also the Ajurveda. Indicates that the remaining portion of the Ajurveda, which is the prime portion, Abhideya Bhaga, forms the abridged version of the original Purana, containing its essence, and it consists of 400,000 verses in the world of mortals, 
is not a different composition. So Jiva has, has gone to some, some considerable lengths here uh, to make his point. So five one hundredths of one percent. Uh, one thing to understand, uh, and it's explained in the commentary here, is when we say that the that the Yajur Veda was divided into the four Vedas, that's that's really because. In sometimes we will we will hear it referred to in that way that it was divided, but it actually wasn't divided because the four, four Vedas came from the four different mouths of Brahma, the four distinct Vedas originally, so they were distinct. So the explanation is given. It's just like when whatever is the largest in a grouping. Sometimes the whole grouping is referred to in that, according to that, and the Yajur Veda is the largest. So it's like when I say I have a herd of cows. So I say I have a herd of cows, a large herd of cows. There may be some buffaloes in there, okay? But still, it's common practice to refer to it as a herd of cows. Or we say I have five fingers, well, actually, I have four fingers and a thumb. We don't call a thumb a finger, except when we say I have five fingers. All right? So the point is being made that the four Vedas are distinct, and we should remember that. Um, and again, ending up in that Anocheda as with an understanding that all of it the Puranas and the Itihasas as is a Purusheya. It is the same transcendental knowledge. It's not, it's, it itself is part of the original Veda, the Yajur Veda. So you have the whole Veda, which is four distinct sections, the Puranas, and the Mahabharata. Come to Anucheda 15. The origin of the Itihasas, Puranas, and Vedas is the same. He's going on, but with some more explanation. Uh, The ingenious Lord, this is from the Shiva Purana, abridged the Vedas and then divided it, Vyasta, into four. There's where we get Veda Vyas. Vyas. Divided. Vyasta. Into four. So, Veda Vyas means that personality who divided. He didn't really divide, did he? but that's the way it's spoken of many times. Therefore, he became known as Veda Vyas. He also condensed the Puranas into 400,000 verses, condensed a billion into 400,000. That's called boiling the milk. <laughs> Which still number one billion verses in the immortal realm. So again, he's giving additional verses to support his position. Here the word Saksipta, condensed, implies condensed by him. The name of the various Puranas. Now he goes on and says, well, okay, there may be some of the, you who are saying, and I'm just going to give you a synopsis, an explanation of this instead of reading the text, that you have the Skanda Purana. You have the uh, Agni Purana. You have the Katha Upanishad in the in the Vedic realm, what you would consider Vedic. So if you if these are attributed to people, then does that mean that those people wrote them? And he explains here 
The names of the various Puranas, Skanda, Agni, and so on, refer to their original speakers or their compilers, such as the Katha Upanishad, which was promulgated by the sage Katha. Alternatively, the name may refer to the person who arranged the Puranas contents. The reason the Puranas are occasionally described as impermanent is that they are sometimes manifest and sometimes not. They are eternal, but sometimes they're manifest, like the pastimes of the Lord, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they go underground. They're not immediately available to us. Are we going to say that the Vedas are not perfectly complete, although we only have 6% available in human society today, if that? No. But that's what we have access to in this Kali Yuga at this point in time. 6% and there's 94% that aren't visible in human society. But the Veda is still complete in those four Vedas, correct? So, the point is being made here in the same way. Well, because the argument, somebody could argue, well, that's, you know, you attribute all these sages' names, does that mean that they wrote them? No. And explanations are given why that's not the case. So, that what are they? they? They become manifest through these sages who have different names. In spite of this fact, Sutta and others who are not, not twice born are eligible to recite the Puranas in the same way that every person is eligible to chant Sri Krishna's holy name the transcendental fruit of the creeper of all the Vedas, as stated in the Prabhas Kanda of the Skanda Purana. O best of the Brigu dynasty, the holy name of Krishna is the sweetest of the sweet and the most auspicious of the auspicious. It is the transcendental fruit of the creeper of all the Vedas and is purely of the nature of consciousness, eternally self-manifest and self-existing and hence prior to phenomenal existence. Whoever chants it but once, whether as an intentional act born of faith or inadvertently, is liberated. He's contending here with the argument that um, we can see that people who are not qualified to chant. You're saying people, you may say, well, if the Puranas and if the Itihasas are part of the Veda, well, the Veda can only be be addressed by those that are qualified. He himself has already stated that. So much qualification is there. But no, the qualification for the Puranas and for the Itihasas is, is not the same. You don't have to be twice born. Well, what's your evidence for that? How can you possibly say that it's Vedic, but you can approach it without full qualification? Well, because what? It's just like it's complete. It's accessible to whom? Stri? Sudra? Sudra? Bandhu. It's accessible just like the holy name. So that's, it's, it's easily accessible without those qualifications. Just like the holy name. So there, for your argument that you have to be fully qualified to approach the, you're saying they're Vedic. Yes, they're Vedic, but they're Vedic, but they're Vedic. And they also have this, the, the speciality that they don't require the high qualifications that the Vedas themselves do, although they themselves are Vedic.
from the Vishnu Purana, uh, the, uh, he again, more arguments. On the pretext of writing Mahabharata, Srila Vyasa has explained the meaning of the Vedas. Without doubt, all of the Vedas are firmly established in the Puranas. Then he gives one other qualification. And if you want one other argument, just to put that in final nail in my arguments here, understand that the Puranas and the Mahabharata came from who? Sri Bhagavad himself, Vyasudev, an incarnation. So how can you think that anything that came from him is not perfect and complete? A little bit from the commentary. We touched upon it just like the Lord, manifest and unmanifest. 5,000 years ago at the end of Dwarpa Yuga, Narada Muni instructed Vyas to again reveal the Srimad Bhagavatam. So the Srimad Bhagavatam had been lost. Even the, that Purana had been lost in humanity because he'd, he'd done his work of separating the Vedas and providing so much other information to humanity. And what? Narda said, no, you've missed one. One Purana needs to be there. You need to read, you need to be the cream of all the Puranas out for humanity because he'd already done the Mahabharata. But Narda said, no, there needs to be even more clarification than that. Um, well, does that mean the argument again? And understand this is Jiva's approach. His preaching approach is to put forth the arguments and soundly defeat them repeatedly. So, well, so that means not, that means Vyasadeva wrote down the Srimad Bhagavatam. No. It is eternal, the Srimad Bhagavatam. How do we know that? Because even in Satya Yuga, from the Puranas that are there in that age, we notice that that in the older Puranas, the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's reference to it by the name Srimad Bhagavatam. In the Padma Purana, Uttara Khanda Gautama advises Ambarish Maharaj, who reigned in Satya Yuga, to study Srimad Bhagavatam. So here's a narration from the Padma Purana of an act, of an of something that was instructed to Ambarish Maharaj in Satya Yuga, and here we are at 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 the beginning of Kali Yuga. And Narada is instructing Vyas to write the Srimad Bhagavatam. So it's not a new composition. Now we'll come to Anucheta 16. The distinctive illumination of Vyas, revealer of the Itihasas and Puranas. Skanda Purana states, just as a person picks up items from his own house and uses them, Many people have taken knowledge from the sky of Vyasa's heart for their own use. In the commentary, it explains the following. Everything is already known there in the sky of Vyasa's heart. The chitta of Vyas is, is that of Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, of Narayan of whom he's, a, he's an incarnation. So, any knowledge, any knowledge that we may think we're acquiring is already there in with Vyas. He's all-knowing. The unlimited sky contains everything, and the sky also is the medium for sound. So, all sound vibration is originating there as the comparisons being made. All simply appropriate the knowledge of Vyas. Any new idea exists in his contemplations. 
kind of puts us in our place. Even the greatest philosopher, we're thinking we're waxing on some, some great thought. Oh, a light bulb comes on. Well, who lit the light bulb? Where'd the light come? And who provided the energy for the illumination? So, we'd, we, should, so we would be ever mindful but to be plugged into that current, that's a most wonderful thing. And to be, to be able to recognize the source of your illumination and have a reciprocation of appreciation with that source is a most wonderful and splendid thing. To recognize all those gemstones of knowledge, all those fancy poetic words, all those amazing abilities one may have in any field of science, in any of the arts, are all coming as a benediction from the Supreme. And being able to reciprocate with an appreciation of love for that, that is what is the purpose of our existence. There's no loss in the fact that all these thoughts are coming from the Supreme that all these skills, that all these abilities, that everything that is us, that we can think and constitute and claim as our own, is not? It isn't. We're not going to... It isn't. That's the whole purpose of this process of self-realization. We need to realize who our self is. Who is our real self? And our real self is that fragmental part of that absolutely perfect self who is all-knowing. And whatever knowledge we can attribute to our teeny brain is coming through that agency. That's a wonderful thing. That's, an, that's, that's not a bad thing for us. We'll end with a small pastime. It's mentioned that Srila Vyas came to again give Vedic knowledge, specifically our Vyas in our one cycle of four yugas. And this is related by Parasara Muni. Thereafter, this is from the Vishnu Purana and Parasara Muni is speaking. Thereafter, during the 28th Manvantara, this is the 28th Manvantara, of this day of Brahma. You all understand what a Manvantara is. It's a cycle of four yugas. Each Manu has 71 cycles of four yugas. Thereafter, during the 28th Manvantara of Bhagavan in the form of my son Vyas, remember, Vyas was born of Parasara, took the one Veda consisting of four sections Okay, one Veda, but it's four sections. We've gone over that. And divided it into four separate parts. Just as this illuminated Vyas divided the Veda, previously all other Vyasas, including myself, all other Vyasas, including myself, divided the Veda. So we find out in the commentary that Parasari himself was the Vyas during the 26th Manvantara of this day of Brahma. O best of the twice born, understand that it is precisely in this manner that a Vyas comes in every cycle of four yugas, in Dwarpa Yuga, and arranges the Vedas into various branches. But know, O Maitreya, that Sri Krishna Dwipayana Vyas is Sri Narayan himself. So a special distinction. Well, so there must, perhaps there was no one qualified, but that isn't the reason. What is the reason that Bhagavan, Narayan himself, came as an incarnation of Vyas? That Sri Krishna Dwipayana Vyas is Sri Narayan himself. Who else in this world could have brought forth the epic, great epic Mahabharata? So let me tell you a story. Why did the Ryan actually incarnate as Vyas? Well, it's because 
the Vedas, Vedic knowledge was lost. Well, how could it be lost? Well, it was lost because of the curse of a sage. How powerful, the curse of a sage. This is from the Varaha Purana. This is a, a history from the Varaha Purana of something that happened. There was a great sage, Gautama, and he was present during a tremendous famine. So sages are, are charitably disposed, and he performed austerities and prayed to Lord Brahma uh, for a benediction. His austerities were successful, and Brahma came, and Brahma said, well, what can I do for you? What benediction can I give you for your worship of me? Kutama said, uh, during this famine, I'd like the ability to be able to fully satisfy all my Brahmana guests. They should not suffer from this famine. So I will feed them. Can you give me that benediction? Brahma granted him that benediction. So the Brahmanas lived happily with him and he was able to feed them during a period of famine. So the famine ended. So the sages said, the Brahmanas who were staying with him said, well, thank you very much. We take your blessing. We will go now to our own residence. He said, I'll just stay a few more days. This is always the way with the saintly. They, they want to maintain good sangha. So please, you stay some more days. So the Brahmanas relented and they stayed a few more days. And uh, then they approached again. So thank you so much for your hospitality. Thanks for keeping us alive during a famine. We're, we're indebted to you. So we'll take your leave and go home. Oh, please, you stay a few more days. This happened repeatedly. He would not let them depart. Again and again they came with their request and again and again he said, no, you must stay a few more days. I cannot give up your association. Being kind-hearted, they agreed. But finally, after an extended period of time, they, they came together and they said, you know, I'd really like to get home to my wife or my <laughs> disciples or my, my griha or whatever, my hut. My, my lake, my river that I like to meditate by. We've been here long enough. So they conjured up with their Brahminical power an imitation cow. And they placed the cow on the path that Gautama took every morning to take his morning bath. So he's going to take his morning bath and there's a cow in the way and he throws some water on the cow to get it to move off the path. The cow immediately falls down and dies. <laughs> the Brahmanas tell Gautama, well, <laughs> we're not staying with you, you're a cow killer. We're going home. <laughs> so in that way, under that ruse, they left and went to their own respective hermitages. So Gautama, of course, performed the necessary atonements for killing the cow, of course, it was an imitation cow, and in he received enough mystic opulence and knowledge to realize he'd been fooled, he'd been tricked by these brahmanas. What did he do? He cursed. He said, well, I curse you. Your Vedic literatures will be lost to you. Imagine, what a curse. I mean, how much do we relish reading Shastra, imagine your Vedic knowledge will be lost to you. They went to Brahma. Brahma appeased the Supreme. And Veda Vyas came and gave us the Vedas back. And the Brahmins again had their sanctuary in the Shastra. We finish now with Anucheta 16. Uh, next class we will finish 17 and 18 for sure. And then we will come to the section in Jiva Goswami's Tattvasandarbha where he gives the epistemology 
of the Srimad Bhagavatam itself. So we've come with how do we get knowledge to we get knowledge from the Veda, per perfect knowledge. Well, which Veda? Well, we actually, for us, in Kali Yuga, so many problems, we come to the Puranas are our best source of knowledge, and the Itihasas, they're just as powerful as the Vedas. In fact, for us, they're better because they require no qualification. Stri, Sudra, Tvijabandhu, our position. It's okay. We can still attain transcendental knowledge by the mercy of these literatures. Well, there are 18 Puranas. And in the next class, we're going to see that the Puranas come to us and are tailored to people in different modes of nature. So now let's look at the 18 major and 18 minor Puranas and determine of those which is the best for us. In what mood mode for, should they put forth? What should be the deity that they put forth? And which one should we recognize as the most and the best? So that will end this section, next class. And we will further venture into Jiva Goswami's complete and total, irrefutable, absolute, beyond any question of a doubt, conclusion that Srimad Bhagavatam is the ultimate praman for us at this point in time. Any questions? Guruji, every time when you say that Veda, Veda was lost, or the Vedic knowledge, you refer just to the portion which contains Srimad Bhagavatam? Veda Vyasa had to come and actually reinstate all the Vedas. So here instead That's why it took Narayan to do it. Who else could bring all the Vedas in one manifestation? So the other Vyasas could not do that. They're empowered as a So opposed. he did everything besides Bhagavatam and later Narada Muni you know, instructed him to go do it. And give us, this, give us the cream now, yes. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna.